Well, good morning. My name is Scott. I just want to say I'm really glad that you're here. Welcome. I hope that you settle in and enjoy the time that we've got together. One of the things that I love about when we come together on Sunday morning is that we're just different people, right? I mean, some of us have been doing our best to follow the Lord for years and years and years, and some of us are like just kind of exploring the very beginnings of that. And uh, some of us are super excited to be here, and some of us kind of got dragged here. <laughs> And, uh, you know, some of us are probably looking forward to this week and going, man, Valentine's Day is coming. I'm so excited. Can't wait to celebrate that. And some of us might be looking ahead and going, that's not going to be the happiest holiday. I mean, no matter how, we're a very diverse group. But when we come together, we come together with one focus and we're together as one, kind of regardless of the circumstances of our life. That's one of the reasons we take just a moment at the beginning of the service to turn to greet one another and to say hello, to get to know some of these really strange people that are standing and seated all around us. So would you do that? Say hi to someone around you. Well, good morning again. You guys did a great job with that. Fantastic. Um, uh, one of the things that I want to do, that wasn't enough greeting for you. If you just didn't get enough of getting to know people and maybe you're newer to the church and looking to find a way to get more and more connected, I want to invite you to something we do right after the service. It's called First Connect. Uh, we meet right over there underneath the monitor on the far wall, and I will be there for about five minutes just to say hello, to introduce myself personally, face-to-face, -face, and get to know you if you're new or newer. Maybe this is your first or second or third week or something. We'd love to say hi. I'd love to get to know you. So I will see you there right after the service, okay? Um, because one of the values that we have as a church is this sense that um, we want to continue to engage and to grow in healthy relationships that honor God. And, uh, and that takes place uh, here when we're here, but it takes place in a lot of venues as well. One of the ones uh, that I wanted to talk to you about just for a moment this morning is, uh, is the way that we're trying to kind of extend that sense of community further outside of just the gathering here. And so you may know this or you may not know this, but you're part of a church here at 9 o'clock that has another service that happens at 11 o'clock. And we fill the room just like we do here and, and gather with those people as well. And that's really fun. But beyond that, and you may or may not know this, we go ahead when we're uh, doing the services and we got the cameras and the stuff like that, we compile that and we post the messages and we post the services online on Facebook and on our website and stuff like that. And there's another three or 400 people a week who are viewing that and seeing that that are also kind of an extended part of our congregation as well. And that's important to know because we like to kind of celebrate that we're part of something that's just a bigger than what's happening right here in, the, in our immediate presence, but also to know that um, as events arise, maybe there's an illness, maybe you get snowed in, maybe you just can't get to church on a Sunday, there's, there are ways uh, to stay connected and to see what's going on that way. And uh, hopefully the plans are, by the time we get to the summer, what we really want to do, you know the summer, there's sunshine, there's no snow, there's no ice, it's wonderful. And we head off to wonderful places like the lake, right? And that's awesome. Hopefully we'll be able to, uh, we're setting up to do some live streaming of our services so that even when away on vacation, you can stay connected and be a part of what we're doing here. So that's pretty exciting as well. Um, I'm going to ask you right now, go ahead and stand up. Uh, and I'm going to lead us into an, uh, our time of worship with a prayer. Heavenly Father, in this place, even as we connect with one another, God, we want to connect with you. We want to spend some time giving you glory. We want to spend some time thinking about how good you are and how kind and gracious you are. We want to talk about the things that are true about you. And we want to spend this time dedicating our hearts uh, in love and response to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. 
Father's arms are 
God, we say thank you 
for your love and your grace. Thank you that you do speak to us. And thank you, God, that when we quiet ourselves before you, we get a sense of your nearness to us. And God, we pray that that sense of you being with us, being alongside us and being for us, God, would never leave from us, but that we'd be able to discern your presence at all times, leading and guiding us forward in the paths that you have prepped for us. In Jesus' name, this is our prayer. Amen. Hey, in just a second, uh, Pastor Nate's going to come up. He's going to give us our uh, next message in this fight series that we're doing, and that's going to be great. But as we come to this point where we do our tithes and our offerings, I um, want to take the opportunity again just to say for those who give so regularly and so faithfully, um, it's humbling to see, I think, sometimes how just the faithful, ongoing contributions of, of people make such a difference in the lives of so many. I'm talking about the lives of people here in the church who are growing in their faith and kids who are being discipled, but also in the community as we're reaching out and making a difference in our city and sharing God's love with people all over the place. Uh, there's a sense that I have when we come to this point in the service, and I want to encourage all of us towards, is to have a sense of celebration when we give, a sense of joy that uh, in the in the uh, right alongside our giving, there's this sense of purpose, which brings an awful lot of joy. And there are, you know, there are lots of ways to give. We give here during the service at this point uh, with the tithes and offerings, but we can, uh, through our website, you can give online. You can use text to give if that's more convenient to you, and that's, that may be the case if you're viewing this online. That's a great way as well. But the point isn't how you give in terms of the mechanism or the vehicle. I think the point really is the heart with which we give. And I want to encourage us this morning to give with a heart of celebration and with a heart of joy. Ushers, why don't you come on forward? He has never been as big as right now, as, as we've seen him right now. He is on the Terry Norris. Derek Kelly in 87, Joseph Walker at disqualification. Oh, and he got it. This might be it. Can he get up? He cannot. It might be over. That's it. It's over. Terry Norris has been dethroned. What an upset. Simon Brown. Well, good morning. Glad everyone's here. Um, I've never been in a fight before. So you know that? Never been in a fight? Who's been in like a real fight before? Raise it loud and proud. Come on. Um, I have been in a food fight before, though. And there's nothing better than a food fight. And, uh, but I, I've never been in a real fight before. Uh, but those of you uh, who have, you know the importance of when you're in that fight, most likely, uh, to what? Stay on your guard and make sure you knock the other person down, right? And uh, uh, when we talk about uh, fight uh, in this series, we're not talking about the physical fighting uh, by any means, but there is another type of fight. You know, the Bible says that we are in a fight not against flesh and blood, but we're in a fight uh, of a power not of this world. And so we're in this middle of this series called Fight. And where Paul, he had uh, wrote this letter, uh, two letters to Timothy, uh, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, and he had told him to fight the good fight. And in this series, we're looking at the book of 2 Timothy, which is full and rich uh, of teaching. And we're looking uh, closer at, you know, what is it to fight the good fight? Uh, what is that? And, and there's nothing more than I want today than for everyone to leave here with the empowerment of Jesus to fight this good fight of faith, to fully trust and rely on him and to live a life that just fully pleases God. And as a church in a community of people who follow Jesus, you know, I really believe that we're in a very pivotal time in history. And I think we know this, you know, as we look out and, you know, I've lived a pretty short life so far, but, you know, as I look out on the world, you know, th there's so much going on. And as I look at the, the state of the church and the state of our country across America, you know, I see more and more young people leaving the church than ever before. And research backs that up. There's just division among people who follow Jesus. There's division among people who don't follow Jesus. And all you have to do is turn the news on, you know, uh, once a day for five minutes to see the, the, the disunity that our country has currently. You know, as I, as I look out, I see that there's racism and, and that there's hurting people. There's fatherless children. 
there's divorce, anger, you know, and so much more. And Paul, uh, in the New Testament, you know, he writes about this where he takes Timothy as this young boy or teenager and he deposits life into him and he deposits the word of God in him and he deposits leadership in him. And Paul had taken him and he had become like his star pupil was Timothy. Paul raised Timothy into this man of God with this deep desire to fulfill the mission of Jesus. And he was sent to the Uh, to Ephesus, this church that was in Ephesus. And Ephesus was an extremely progressive city, much like a New York, LA, or Seattle, where, you know, there's kind of like godlessness everywhere. There was socioeconomical breakdowns. There was division, and there was widows and orphans and hurting people, feeling, people filling their life with, with all the pleasures they wanted. Maybe sounds similar to what we look like uh, as a country maybe today. Ephesus was this key place in history and in the world at the time, extremely progressive. And here is this church in Ephesus where Paul sends Timothy and he says, go there and grow these people. And within this church, there was division. Within this church, there was people, leaders even in the church, who would say things like, you don't have to follow all the teachings of the Bible or all the teachings of Jesus. It doesn't all apply to us today. Sound maybe even what like some Christians might say today as well. Might say something like, I like this part of the Bible, but not this part. I really like this scripture here, but not that one as much. That, oh, there's no absolute truth in the world. It's all relative to what I think. Paul says, Timothy, go there. Pastor this church and start this revival. So Timothy, uh, he goes there maybe when he's like 20 years old-ish and he works at it for maybe 10 or 15 years and um, now he's maybe 30, 30, 35 years old when Paul writes to Timothy, the book of 7 Timothy. And at this time, he'd been working at it in this environment and you know, He was honestly probably tired, broken, wondering, is it worth it? Is what I do as a Christian, is my effort even worth it? I still walk down the street of Ephesus. I still see hurting people. I still see godlessness. I still see sex trafficking. I still see addiction. I still see injustice. I still see pain. Maybe you find yourself in that same spot today. That you just go, is it? even worth it. Maybe you're a Christian and you're trying to set an example at your work. So if someone who follows Jesus, maybe a student on your campus, someone who follows Jesus and you're trying to win your school for Christ. Maybe you're a mom at home, a grandparent looking back on life and you're just wondering, is it worth it? Was it worth it? Why do I still walk down the halls and still see so many hurting people, broken people? Why am I at my work doing what I'm supposed to do, but I don't see anything from it? Is it even worth it? And this is where Paul, he's in prison, and Paul, you know, over the course of his life had just suffered a ton, suffered beatings and stonings and shipwrecks and just all different kinds of stuff. And here he is in, in prison, and this is where most scholars think he wrote his final letter to Timothy. This is where he's about to die, he's about to, to be killed, and he writes these final words to Timothy where he says things like, fan into flame the passion that you once had that my dad talked about last week, where he wrote to Timothy later in 2 Timothy in chapter three, where he says, all, remember all scripture is God breathed. There is an absolute truth. Where he writes these very pivotal things to him, these are his last words. And here, where we're gonna be at this morning, the second chapter of 2 Timothy, Paul reminds Timothy of a few things. It's nothing new that he's never told him before, and it's nothing new that his church had probably heard before, where he just tells Timothy, hey, remind your people of these things. Remind them of this. And so this morning, can we all just be reminded of the things that Paul has for us? Can we just be reminded of these things that he shared with Timothy? And I think that through that, we can really 
really walk away with something. And first thing is this, is that you're in a fight. And I think this is one of the first things he, he, he shows Timothy because he knows Timothy is tired and he reminds him that, Timothy, you're in a fight. He begins the second chapter of Timothy saying this, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Join me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. I love how Paul starts this. First is just saying that you then, my son, that it's very personable, that, that Paul's writing this personal letter to Timothy. And I love how he starts it. I mean, just imagine your favorite superhero when you were growing up as a child. And this was probably Paul to, I mean, Paul is like this, one of the superheroes of the Bible. And, and imagine your favorite superhero growing up. He's real. Superman's real, let's say, right? And that Superman addresses you as your son, like you, my son. I mean, as a, as a child, as someone, you just be like, oh my gosh, like that's amazing. I love it. It's empowering to Timothy. And it just shows the relationship that he had with Timothy. And then he reminds Timothy of all the things that he had suffered. Remember my suffering. Join me in my suffering. Remember these things that I've gone through. And he tells him to be like a soldier. You're in a battle. No soldier in a battle would ever get wrapped up in these other things. No soldier gets wrapped up in all these things of the world. And I love this picture of Paul showing Timothy, look how I've fought, look how I've suffered. And can I just say really quickly, as a young man, that you older men, anyone older than me in the room right now, all right? If you consider yourself older. You older men, I need to see what it looks like to fight a good fight. And hopefully I'm speaking for a lot of the other young people in the room as well. We need to see what a genuine relationship with God looks like. I want to see how you have endured suffering and that you haven't quit and you haven't given up, but that you've given glory to God through it and you're able to point back and see how God's worked in your life. I need to see how you've suffered and how you have fought. Young people, if we want to see more young people engage in their faith in the church, we don't need older people from different generations to show us some half-baked uh, relationship with Jesus, but we need to see this genuine, up-close and personal walk with Jesus because we know the struggle is real. We know that there's suffering in life. Show us how you have navigated it. Show us how you have fought. Show us what it looks like to fight the fight. You are in a fight. That's the first thing he says. You're all in a fight. You're like a soldier. You're like a soldier in battle. And then there's a battle all around us. And here's the thing that, you know, Timothy got probably tired and broken, and we get tired and broken in, in as well. We get kind of taken out of the fight sometimes because we forget we're in a fight. You probably even forgot this week, and my dad gave a wonderful message last week about fighting and the things that we should fight for. We probably forgot this week. But you're in a fight, and people get taken out every single day because they just forget simply you're in a fight. Pastors get taken out because they forget they're in a fight. We see that happen. Pastors of large churches get taken out. Moms get taken out. Dads get taken out. Students get taken out. They give up, they quit, they lose because they forget they're in a fight. Start to get wrapped up in all the things in the world where he, Paul tells Timothy, Don't, no soldier in battle would get wrapped up in civilian affairs. They're there in the battle there to do what their commanding officer says. Marriages get taken out because the husband and wife forgot that the day that they committed their life to Jesus and then the day they stood at an altar and made a covenant before God and witnesses saying that until death do us part, I will love you and stay with you, they forgot that the day that they did those things, a target was painted on their back 
The day that you said that you would want to win your school for Jesus, there was a target painted on your back. The day that you said you would commit everything to him when you were at that camp or in that church service or uh, with a family member, whatever it was, that there was a target painted on your back. And then you forgot, and we forget that we're just in a fight. You burn out, you get tired, you quit, and you wonder, is it even worth it? We live in a world where, man, there's so many distractions around us, and there's traps, and it's easier than ever before to lose sight of the battle that we are in. We forget that we're in a fight, and we forget that there's someone fighting against you, that there's someone fighting against you every single day you wake up. Paul continues on in, in uh, the second chapter of Timothy, and he, uh, he writes, uh, this. He says, keep reminding God's people of these things. Just remind them of these things because it's easy to forget. It's really easy to forget. Keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before, uh, before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and it only, only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Here's the thing. One thing that we'll, you'll see a lot in 1 Timothy and that we see in 2 Timothy is that Paul is adamant about getting this point across of stop quarreling. Stop all the godless chatter. Stop the, the, the little fighting that's taking place. And then there's work to do. He said that we, we should uh, be a good worker, that there's work to do. There's stuff for us to participate in uh, instead of the meaningless, godless chatter and quarreling and fighting. There's work for us to do, making disciples. If you're someone who considers yourself older, the work you should be doing is making younger disciples. If you're someone who's younger, you should be making disciples as well. And then Paul, he continues on, he says, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servants must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful, Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them the repentance leading them to a, to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Here in simple is who you're fighting against. There is someone fighting against you. Powers not of this world who is Satan, the devil, the enemy is real. There is an enemy fighting against you and he will lay all kinds of traps and he'll try and take people captive that they start bickering and quarreling and creating division and disunity within families, within friendships, within churches, within countries. If he can do that, that's part of his plan. Here in simple is how the enemy works. One is he will trap you in sin. And two, he will trap you in your words. He'll trap you in sin and he will trap you in your words. This is who you're fighting against. And Paul lays out his tactics here, that if he can trap you in sin and the things that just weigh you down, the, the things that separate us from God. Remember, the Bible tells us that, that, uh, that sin separates us from God. If he can trap you in sin, he's just landed his right hook. If he can trap you in your words, he's just landed his left hook. There's someone fighting against you every day you wake up. And you may forget you're in a fight. You may wake up for a day and forget that you're in a fight, but let me promise you this, the devil never forgets he's in a fight with you. He never forgets that. And here's the thing, if you've committed your life to Jesus and you've said yes to him, then Satan has lost you forever. That there's nothing that can separate you from God 
in that moment. But Satan also knows if he can knock you down, trap you in sin, trap you in all the little fights that we get into, then you become ineffective. You see, Paul said to Timothy that focus on the good fight of faith, that there is one good fight that we should all participate in. There is one good fight. Satan, your enemy, wants you to get caught up not in the good fight, but in all the little fights of the world. All the little fights that create division in people, all the little fights that create anger, all the little fights that create disunity, all the little fights that tear marriages apart, tear friendships apart, that create bitterness and loneliness. These little mini fights that the enemy wants to get you trapped in with your words. Maybe ladies, it could look something like this where someone wrongs you and maybe says something that you didn't really appreciate or like and instead of then going to her you then just talk behind her back to other friends. You gossip, and you get engaged in these little fights, these little quarrelsome things. Or maybe guys, uh, maybe it's the words, the jokes, the sarcasm to be funny, that in the end it just leaves someone hurt. Have you ever like talked with someone before who like, they'll just like talk and they're kind of funny and it's, yeah, it's kind of cool. And they can just talk forever and ever, but then like the last sentence they say, or like the last word they say, just like sticks like a knife in you. And it's just like, oh my gosh, like, why would you say that? And then what does all this stuff lead to? All these words and the quarreling and the gossip, it leads to all of these little mini fights. They lead to bitterness, loneliness, anger towards the church, anger towards one another, disunity in the church, and the enemy knows if he can trap you in with your words, then he's now made you ineffective. A bitter Christian is an ineffective Christian. A a Christian who is angry and doesn't show the love of God is an ineffective Christian. You know, it always amazes me the times when people come to me and say, this thing that you said years ago, I've been holding on resentment to it for years. And I'm sorry about that. It's great that you know, people will come over years and, and talk to you about these things, but what always amazes me is that there could have been something I said, maybe a stupid remark or joke that was taken out of context that someone just held on to. Because I'm a work in progress too. Someone held on to and then just had bitterness and resentment for years. Maybe it was just something innocent that I didn't even mean anything by it and it was just completely taken out of context. But then years go by and it just creates anger and bitterness and people become ineffective, taken out of the game because we get trapped in our words, in our quarreling, in our gossip, in the little fights that we get into. These many fights could also, or these little, uh, the way that the enemy will trap us in our words could also be like just a group of good-hearted Christians sitting in a living room and just talking about the problems in the world and maybe debating over theology and maybe, you know, things like that and just lots of talking, lots of talking. Talking about, you know, what does the Bible say on serving? Or what does the Bible say on tithing? Or, you know, what does it mean to help homelessness? Or, you know, whatever it is. And then never actually go out and do anything. You never actually go out and do the work. That that Paul says, be a worker. Go and do these things. But instead, sometimes, not all times, but sometimes, Christians can get locked in like a living room and just talk and talk and talk. And there's nothing wrong with talking and praying, but if that's all we do, we get trapped in just the useless debate over theology. And this was one of the problems in, this, in the church of Ephesus that Paul was pointing out, that it's just people just debating over theology. I went to this big conference years ago, a few years ago, and uh, one of the presenters at this conference, he was just an amazing guy. He was a, a cop at, uh, that uh, was trying to make a difference in Skid Row. And for years, uh, for years, there's been massive problem in Skid Row, and there's still is huge problems there as well. But for years, nothing had really been done, and so this new cop comes on the scene, um, 
and he wants to go uh, make a difference in Skid Row. And so he's a Christian and he's a Jesus follower, and so he prays for, it, uh, for these people, but he wants to go make a difference. So he decides, well, I'll go to uh, the uh, police chaplain's meeting and hear about how the, the problems are and what we can do to make a difference in Skid Row. So he told how he went to this chaplain's meeting and it was really great, they talked and they prayed. And he continued to go back and they just talked and they prayed, and they just talked and they prayed. And there were these wonderful you know, uh, uh, officers, these ch- uh, 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 police uh, uh, chaplains, but he realized that all they ever did was talk and pray. And so he kind of said this thing that just stuck out in my mind, that he said, for years no one had made a difference in Skid Row. He said, because they were handcuffed to their talking. They were just handcuffed to their chatter and they're talking. So that just brings up this good point that I think Paul's trying to make is, enough with the useless talking. What about going and actually doing? And maybe today, where are you handcuffed? What handcuffs you? Were you are you handcuffed to drama? Do you get handcuffed to, to bitterness and quarreling? Do you just get handcuffed to just talking about the Bible and not going and doing the work of Jesus? There's nothing more than, the, than what the devil wants is to make Christians ineffective. Ineffective. Because he knows that what God's plan is too, to go and make disciples in all nations, baptizing the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the great commission that we as people are God's plan. We are the hope to fulfill God's plan that we're the ones to go and tell people. And if we don't tell people, no one is saved. And so the the enemy knows that if he can make you ineffective, he won't lose as many. And if he can create bitter, lazy, tired Christians, then he's won that fight. He's won that fight. And we as people are are to go and make disciples, old, young, middle-aged. We are to go and make disciples disciples. We are temples of the living God. We are a representation of Jesus to this world. We hold the answer to life. We hold the antidote to sin. We, are the, we have the cure for humanity. We are the bearers of the greatest cause of this earth. We hold the key to eternal life and death through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if the devil can come in and catch you off guard, catch Christians off guard because they forgot that they're in a fight, they forgot that there's someone fighting against them, and we all become ineffective, we become resentful, we become bitter, we become unwilling to forgive. If these are the things that he can produce, feed into, div- into division, then we fell or we have fallen for the enemy's trap. You're fighting against an enemy every day who wants to destroy your marriage, who will trap you in temptation with another person, with pornography. He'll trap you with an emotional connection to another person. He'll give you a reason to be bitter to your spouse and not to forgive. You're fighting against an enemy who wants to take your children and hold them captive to sin, who would say that the Bible is relative that they can just be who they want to be and live a life how they want to live. You're fighting an enemy. He will do anything to take you out of the game, to take you out of the fight, to take your family out of the fight and keep people from experiencing the life that Jesus offers, people being held in bondage. The enemy wants to keep us from doing the work that God has for us. He wants to keep us from loving God, loving people, He wants to keep you from loving the local church. He wants to keep us from helping hurting people. And here's the thing, here's what I love about our church, is that we're a church who does not just sit and talk, but we are a church who goes and does the work of God in our city and in our world. That we have amazing ministries like Serve Spokane, who on a weekly basis, they do this amazing work to help hurting people that help refugees. We have amazing people in our church, life groups who go to elementary schools and, and homeless shelters and people who actually go and do. We are a part of an amazing 
church who does these things. And I want to encourage you that if you're someone who is not a part of a life group, who's not a part of a ministry, who's not a part of, of a group of people coming together for the cause of Christ to affect our city and our world, I would ask you again, what is handcuffing you? What is that? What is that thing? So Paul says some really great words here as well where he says, what do we do instead? Don't, don't do these things. Don't fall for the devil's trap because there is an enemy who wants to trap you. He says, instead, uh, if you remember back, he says, flee from the sin of your youth, but we are to pursue righteousness. To flee essentially means just to go in the exact opposite direction from where you were headed. So if the devil wants you to go this way, you flee in the exact opposite direction. You don't fall for the enemy's traps. You just flee from them. And Paul says, pursue righteousness. Pursuing righteousness is essentially this, laying down yourself and pursuing who God is. Pursuing righteousness is understanding that no one can be righteous without Jesus. Pursuing righteousness means that you lay down your plan, and you understand what God has done for you. Righteousness is a gift of God. The Bible says uh, the person who knew no sin took on our sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Righteousness is a gift that God gives us. Without Jesus, there is nothing we could do or nothing we could have done to ever be righteous. When we stand and acknowledge without him, we don't have anything. We gain this attitude of Jesus, which leads to those things that Paul says like faith, love, and peace, and understanding that we are here to love God and love people. And this is where we're fleeing to. We're fleeing from these things that Paul says, don't do this, flee to this righteousness. And it's the understanding that it is completely 100% God given. We're leaving self-righteousness and fleeing to the righteousness found in the gift of Jesus' death on the cross that made us right in the eyes of God. Then with this type of God awareness, we find power in Jesus. You know, this can be kind of a hard concept to get. Now realize that. I'll try and simplify it even further. When we lay aside our self-righteousness, and our self-righteousness is the thinking that we can do it on our own. We can fight the fight on our own without anyone else. With my effort, my good character, I can keep my marriage together, I can raise my kids right. I can be a good person. I can do these things on my own. When you lay that aside, your own self-righteousness that says, I can earn my way to be a good person. I can earn my way to be a right with God. I can do it on my own. When you lay that aside and you come into the awareness that God has given you the gift of his righteousness, that God has given you the gift of the righteousness of Jesus, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The righteousness of Jesus has been given to you that there's nothing you could have ever done to get it. There's nothing you could ever do to keep it. That type of awareness of who God is and what Jesus has done gives us the ability to know it's not up to me, that I'm not enough that I need someone stronger. I need someone more powerful. I need someone stronger, and I need someone that can do this for me, with me. That type of awareness of God and life that honors him, where self-righteousness says that I can do it on my own. I'll do good. Be, I'll do good. Self-righteousness says, I'll do good because God told me so, when the righteousness of Jesus says, I'll love people because God loved me. Remember what Paul told Timothy in the very beginning of 
chapter two said, Timothy, my dear son, be strong in the grace that God gives you through Jesus Christ, through Christ Jesus. That we find strength when we flee from the things that the devil has. And we flee to the righteousness found in God that says, I can't do it on my own. I can't fight my marriage on my own. I can't fight for my kids on my own. I can't do enough good. I have to flee to the righteousness that God has given me. And in that, I realize that because God loved me and the grace, the free grace that he's given me, that's where I find strength. I do not find strength in my own power, but I find strength in the awareness and understanding that I could never be more right than I am right now. There's nothing I could do to get me more right in the eyes of God. That where I am at right now, God has given me all the empowerment. God has given me everything that I need to do to be fully capable, passionate person for the cause of Christ. And that when we tap into that, when we find strength, power, and the grace that Jesus has given you, when we draw from Jesus, we draw from the power that he gives, that's where we're able to fight the good fight, that you keep on fighting. I think Paul knew that Timothy was tired. I think Paul knew that Timothy was struggling. And I think he was thinking about giving up, and he was thinking that it's not worth it. The Christian life isn't worth it because I still see hurting people, and I still see a city of Ephesus, or maybe for you, I still see a city like Spokane, or a school like Mead, or a, or a, a campus like EWU. I still see those things, and there's hurting people there. And maybe that's where you're at, and I think Paul knew Timothy was there. And he said, find strength in the grace of God, this free gift, this free gift, just receive it. And he says, here's how to live that will last. Keep working, keep doing, because it is worth it. It's worth fighting for. There's no greater cause. There's nothing else worth suffering for or dying for than the cause of Christ, than Jesus, the hope of humanity. Pursue the righteousness found in the gift of his grace. In this, you'll be able to keep fighting for your marriage. In this, when you pursue that, you'll be able to keep fighting for the, the, your peers in your school. In that, you'll be able to keep fighting for your children. In that, you'll be able to keep fighting for your family, fighting the good fight. You may feel down today. You may feel like giving up, and I'll tell you this, as a pastor, that is something that I go through all the time. And I know that I'm no different than anyone else. There's many times that we feel tired and broken and feel like, is it worth it? But I wanna stand here and remind you the things that Paul reminded Timothy, that there's power in Jesus. Might just be something you forgot that at one point in your life, that flame was burning bright. Might have just been something you forgot that you are in a fight. There is someone fighting against you. And that it's the simple truth of just receive the grace of God again. If you've been a Christian a long time, sometimes it, we lose sight of just receiving grace daily instead of doing the things we feel like will get us grace daily. Just receive and be empowered. You may feel like it's not worth it, but I wanna tell you today that if you find that power in Jesus and you just receive, it is worth it. And that we can see communities change. We can see broken families healed. We can see people in schools come to Christ. We can see passionate followers of Jesus who don't grow tired, who don't, who don't grow weak but become strengthened in Jesus because of the righteousness that he gives us in pursuing that. And today you might feel like you wanna give up, but I wanna encourage you and remind you that you have power in the grace of God that he gives you.
and it's just something we receive. So I just wanna pray right now. If you'll just bow your heads with me, we're gonna end with this. Those of you who just feel tired and feel broken and you feel like, is it even worth it? I just wanna pray for you right now. And if that's you, would you just raise your hand and you're just wondering, is it worth it? I'm tired and I'm kind of broken. Yeah. Let's pray. God, you see the hearts in this room. God, you, you know the ins and outs of our daily life. God, and I just pray that right now, in this moment, God, would you give us your grace again. God, remind us of the power that is found in your grace, your righteousness. God, give us a fresh filling of your spirit. God, give us a fresh filling of your power and strength in our life to keep fighting that good fight. God, help us be people who would have a complete awareness of who you are and that we would go and that we would fight for the things that are important to you in this world. That we would not just be handcuffed to talking. God, but we would be empowered and released to see your mission fulfilled on this earth. We pray this in your name. Amen.